And so once you make entry, they probably know you're coming. Like we've probably explosive breached whatever locked door was between us and them. Yeah. And now we're going through a house or a compound or a building and they know we're in there. They're just waiting. Yeah. And so for us, CQB is very deliberate, but slow. So we don't ever walk faster than we can shoot. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that's another thing. These are like, we, again, we shoot five, five, six, right? Well-placed shots matter. Yeah. Five, five, six are like little bee stings. Unless you put around directly through someone's heart yeah. or directly through their nose, they're still fighting after you shoot them. They don't just fall over right. like in the movies, right? Like yeah. they still got a lot of fight in them. Yeah. Well, welcome to Tardux. I have a really special guest today, and it's not your normal content creator, but he lives and breathes everything we do in Tarkov. And I'd like to welcome Uneventful Gaming to the channel. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So what I do is I start off the, um, the session with three quick questions, just to get okay. the juices flowing. So first one, sketchiest bar you've ever been to? <clears throat> oh, man, I don't know. Um, I don't even know how to answer that. I've been to all kinds of bars. Um, I don't know that I would call any of them like really sketchy. Um, I would say the, the shadiest or sketchiest places I've been to have probably been El Paso, Texas. Okay. Pretty much everywhere we went there was a little bit, uh, one of those was like chicken wires around the stage type thing. Uh, no, just the area that we were in, in the city. Yeah. Um, we're just going like storefront bar to storefront bar. Actually, yeah. no, I have a better one. The sketchiest bar I've ever been to has been in Chad in Africa. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. Um, so in the, the capital city of Chad is N'Djamena and in N'Djamena, there almost all the cities on one side of a river, but there, it is bordered by a river. And on the other side of the river, it's, uh, a lot more of a, like rural part of the city and it's very low income. It's a very poor country. Yeah. Very poor city. And so there's all kinds of bars that everyone goes to. There's like the expatriate community kind of has a hub there and people go out. But on the other side of the river is like not like that. And the first time I was in that country, in that city, we were on the other side of the river and we went to this bar. And the first thing you saw when you like park the car and go to walk in. Now these are all dirt buildings, like not very good construction. Yeah. Was a big sign with like a hand-drawn RPG and then the circle with the line through it. Oh my God. So it's like, you can't bring RPGs in here, but right. it was like, it was like the assumptions. I was like, well, is everything else okay? Yeah. Like, you know, and it was, uh, it was definitely a place where they don't expect to see uh non chadian like non-African yeah. people. So we, yeah. we definitely stood out there. Oh, um, but it was a good time. Oh, awesome. Holy cow. All right. So you're going out to your favorite place to eat. What are you eating? Uh, oh man, that's hard to answer because my favorite place to eat is actually kind of like a food hall that has a bunch of different restaurants and food. Yeah. But, pro but probably a, uh, probably a poke bowl, a sushi okay. bowl. Okay. All right. Yeah. And finally, favorite city to travel to? Uh, favorite city, man, I love where I live. I love Raleigh. Um, Favorite city to travel to, probably Orlando, because I love Disney World. Oh, nice. Very cool. So, um, welcome to the pod. 
uh, how we ended up meeting was uh, through Veritas's uh, channel. We started chatting through yeah. there, and and then you know I've had this you know ever since I started playing Tarkov, I've had this you know question gnawing at me. He's like, is Tarkov what we do in Tarkov? Is that anywhere close to the ex- you know excitement or the the you know what you do in real life? And and you know the other thing Tarkov has shown me is how bad we are at communicating. You know, and mm-hmm. it's like you know people who are trained. Do they have that? You know, do they have that leg up? But you know, before we jump into that, that's how you know why we ended up talking. But how right. did you end up finding Veritas? Um. So one of my friends got me into Tarkov. I used to play Rainbow Six Siege. Uh, I played that for about five years. And before that, I played CSGO. Like, I played competitive shooters my whole life. I'm 35. Yeah. Uh, I've been playing first-person shooters since Wolfenstein 3D came out when I was six years old. Yeah. Um, so anyway, my friends got me into Tarkov. And it's very rare that they convince me to try something new. I'm very stuck in my ways. Yeah. started playing Tarkov. I was terrible at it, like everyone else that plays mm-hmm. it. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. So uh, I hit YouTube and started watching videos, and the most helpful videos were Veritas videos. Uh, I just thought they were the highest quality content. They were the most entertaining, and they were the most informative. Um, so we ended up linking up during his, uh, when he was producing his uh, Getting Tarkov series on the whole, the realism bit. Yeah. And I reached out to him and told him I might be able to offer some, some insider information on the realism realism piece and we chatted for a while about it and ever since then we've been good friends oh that's fantastic yeah when i told him i was uh, having you on the pod he goes oh super awesome dude down to earth 11 out of 10 it's like dude you can't get much of a, <laughs> a better you know better approval from uh from veritas on that i mean he said the same about you <laughs> nice. all right so where does your name come from so uneventful gaming it doesn't have a very good story uh the name is uh honestly like my my Twitch name, the name I use for all my stuff because I didn't produce content was a, uh, it was like my last name and my birth year. Yeah. And I was like, well, if I'm going to start streaming, <laughs> I, I can't use that. Right. One, it's not like catchy and right. two, there's too much information in there. So, yeah, uh, I went through and I was like, man, what would people say if they watched me play Tarkov? Because I, gen- before I started streaming, I generally played very slow and mm-hmm. tried to play tactically and i was yeah. like this might be boring to watch i was like my raids are uneventful let's call them uneventful so yep. that's what i did and now i'm just like shift w because it's more entertaining but <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah now where's the logo come from so the the logo is um so it's meant to appear like a spartan shield so i actually mm-hmm. have a tattoo which is going to be hard to get on the yeah. camera there oh, okay it's the exact same thing yeah um but the so it's basically my tattoo, but more colorized and a little more detail. Yeah. Um, but where that comes from is the very first special forces team I went to. Um, they have they have a pretty significant history, and I think most special forces teams would claim that. But I've been on several now by this point in my career, and uh, they really have the the most interesting history to me. Um, so their first team leader was one of the people that kind of revolutionized how we conducted business in Afghanistan um, as a regiment. Mm-hmm. And the, his whole training mentality was based on the you know Spartan history and the Spartan lore. And there's a lot of, lot of special operations people claim the Spartan flag, so we're not yeah. unique in that sense. But uh, he just really took it to heart. So the, the symbol in the middle of the shield is the lambda, the Greek letter L. 
Um, that's what the Spartans put on their shield. We on the team use the lowercase version uh, for several reasons, one being that we're not real Spartans. Um, but that's what their shields look like. And um, the Lambda is a big deal when we were on that team. Um, it wasn't something you got just for being on the team. It was something you had to earn in like real combat. Yeah. And so you would show up to the team and you would do some physical tests and kind of prove yourself. And then you would get your team like t-shirts and all your gear, but nothing, you didn't get to wear a Lambda. The Lambda was like sacred Yeah. until you like went to combat, participated in combat, kind of proved yourself. And then we have a little ceremony where the Lambda gets kind of issued out, which is a big deal because nowadays, you know, that, that team is still around. Uh, yeah. But we haven't really been doing the combat thing. So there's the vast majority of people will spend their career on that team and move on and never earn a Lambda. Oh, okay. uh, so it was important to me, you know, to earn that. So a lot of the guys that have been on the team that have one have the tattoo. Uh, but the shield is also, if you notice around the shield, there's four notches. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole idea behind the Spartan shield was, you know, it's not to defend them. It's to defend the guy next to them. Oh, okay. So the the four notches in that shield are the... Uh, four guys uh, that had been killed in combat on that team. The team was uh, Special Forces Detachment 3116. Um, and there have been four guys to, to have been killed that had been on that team. And so each one of those notches represents each one of them. And if oh. you turn that shield into like a pie chart calendar, each mm-hmm. one is on the date that they were killed. Oh, wow. Holy cow. That so that's awesome. how that's how I had my tattoo done up, yeah. and that's why I did I drew the logo in Photoshop based yeah. on that based on the tattoo. That's the best logo ever, man! Oh, I love it. That's cool. Um, so first of all, I'd like to to thank you for your service. I think what you do <clears throat> is is far more than than you know a lot of us could ever do. You know that commitment, that sacrifice. Uh, it's it's pretty awesome. So thank you for that. And, I appreciate uh, it. I love my job. That's that is awesome. <clears throat> Uh, and you are the first, uh, you know, active duty person on Tardox. So congratulations. Outstanding. What is your background? You've sort of let it out that, you know, you're special forces. So, you know, how did you get involved in the military? And yeah, so I, um, oh man, I went to college for automotive tech and, uh, did some, some dabbling in engineering and I was working as a, uh, as a technician for a Chrysler dealership and I just wasn't happy with where things like, I just didn't see myself doing that for 40 years. Yeah. Um, I made great money, but it just, it wasn't satisfying work. And, uh, cause I'm a car guy. That's one of my hobbies. Yeah. But, uh, most of my family had some military experience. Um, one of my uncles had some combat experience in Panama and desert storm. Uh, my dad was in the Navy. My other uncle was in the army. My grandfather was in the army. Oh, wow. Um, I have a, I have a picture, um, of me, uh, as a baby playing with a 50 cal machine gun. Oh. Um, I wonder if I could show you that. You can see that. Yeah. Oh my God. That's yeah. fantastic. So that's, uh, you know, that's, that's baby me, um, <laughs> getting a, getting an early start. Nice. So, uh, <clears throat> it was just always in my mind and yeah. I, I spoke with, um, my family members about it and they had kind of mixed, things like they both enjoyed and appreciated their service but yeah. uh they also you know you don't necessarily want to recommend a, a loved one to go and join the military especially during a time of war like this right. was this was uh 2006 2007 like right at the height of both wars yeah so um anyway i did it and um i talked to a recruiter 
and there was options. Um, I scored really well on all my pre-entry exams. So I basically had pick of what job I wanted um, to enlist into. And they had an option. It's called an 18 x-ray option where you basically enlist as an infantryman, but you go to airborne school and then straight, you have an opportunity to go straight to special forces selection. Yeah. So that program has its ups and downs. It's frowned upon by a lot of people. Uh, obviously it benefited someone like me cause I made it. Um, but that's what I did. So I enlisted that way, went through my basic training and all that went to special forces selection, got selected, went through all the, the training course yeah. and then, you know, and then my career really began. Um, and it's been a great experience as joining in that way. You know, a lot of special forces guys come, they've already been in the army. They've already got yeah. some experience and then they move up. So I was definitely lacking. I was definitely probably a detriment to my team when I arrived more than, yeah. uh, more than a help. But, um, but I've learned a lot and I've had a long successful career so far and, yeah. uh, I still love it. What was the toughest thing about all of the training you've done before, you know, being deployed to combat? Um, I don't know. They're all difficult in their own way. So yeah. uh, special forces selection itself, like the assessment and selection is, is physically challenging, but that's almost all it is. It's, it's a bunch of physical tests and yeah. uh, pretty challenging land navigation. If you've never done it before um, the, I, I came in special forces is broke down into like four different basic jobs. If you're enlisted and you're just coming in. So you have mm -hmm. your weapons guys, your engineers, your combo guys, and then your uh, medics. I came in to be a medic, and the yep. medic is the most academically challenging course. Uh, it's about fourteen months of just grueling study. Like you're you're in a classroom for eight nine hours a day, mm -hmm. just getting force fed information at a rate that you cannot possibly retain it. And then you're tested on it every week, so it's just like cram 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 test yeah. dump. And then there's a lot of hands on stuff mixed in. We do a couple hospital rotations, um, so that was the most academically challenging. Yeah. Um, the, the physical stuff, that is what it is. I mean, you just have to be in shape and not quit. Um, I think we have just as many people quit as we have fail. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, the, I would say the toughest thing I did physically was actually probably after all the special forces stuff. When I'd been on the team, I went to ranger school Yeah. and I thought, I thought ranger school was a bigger challenge than uh, any one individual special forces training. The difference is the special forces training was two years long. Yeah. And it covers so many things. So collectively, it's a little more challenging. But yeah. one individual event, Ranger School, I think was the toughest. Oh, wow. Okay. So now, are you still in that role as a medic or have you, you know, evolved and you do different no, things now? No, I progress. So uh, I was a medic for several years. Then I became an intelligence sergeant. And then uh, I ended up taking over a team. I became a team sergeant, which is the, I never got the, I, uh, I was like an acting team sergeant because um, yeah. my highest enlisted rank was a sergeant first class. Um, acting team sergeant for two years. And then I ended up uh, getting accepted into the warrant officer program, went through that course. And now I'm a warrant officer in special forces. So I'm, oh, okay. I'm still on a team. I'm just an assistant commander yeah. as opposed to one of the uh, regular MOS jobs. And now what is your role as a warrant officer for, for special forces? So and that you gotta varies. Ignore, uh, uh, ignore my ignorance to no, 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 you know, no. Difference. It's all good, and I'm trying to explain it in a way that isn't 
like super Barney level, but still yeah. give people that don't really know the breakdown, how it works. So, yeah. Uh, so right now I'm still on a special forces team. There are points in your career where you kind of move on from the team and you do staff jobs and, and like kind of supporting jobs and you're, you're at like a command level. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I've been lucky. Like I've spent my whole career on a team. That's what everyone wants to do. And I'm still doing it. Um, but teams have 12 people on it. Ideally, like if, yeah. if your team is full, you have 12. So you have two weapons guys, you know, two engineers, two medics, two combo guys. You have your engineer sergeant. You have your uh, team sergeant. So that's all your enlisted ranks. And then we yeah. have a captain who's a detachment commander and a warrant officer who's the assistant detachment commander. So that's the role I'm filling right now. I'm the assistant okay. commander. I work for the detachment commander and I'm kind of a go-between. So usually our, our captains, our detachment commanders, they come in. They've not been in the army as long as a lot of people on the team. They're younger. They get a lot of training that is perfect for their officer realm, but yeah. they are always fighting an uphill battle to learn how to be a special forces guy on a team when everyone else has more experience than them. Yeah. Um, and they only get to be on a team for one or two years and then they move on. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So it's a very short lived experience for a captain. Whereas to become a special forces warrant officer, you have to have a bunch of enlisted experience on a team. Yeah. And, um, most of the time you have to have a bunch of experience. You could actually go warrant if you're a captain, which is a sh kind of a strange path that not many people choose. It's a lot less money. Yeah. But um, generally the warrant officers have a lot more experience than the captain, usually on par with the team sergeant. So they're the yeah. two most experienced guys on the team. So the warrant officer has the officer education, the officer training, to act as a go-between between the team sergeant and the the detachment commander yeah. to make sure that what the detachment commander's vision is, is actually being implemented properly by the team sergeant and to make sure that the captain isn't trying to implement a bunch of shit that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, you know, you're the voice you of keep reason it real. Yeah. between the two of them. Yeah. yeah. And then we're also the continuity yeah. because as a warrant officer, I could spend up to five years on the same team, whereas the team sergeant and the captain, they're going to rotate out. Yeah. And I'm, I'm that like leadership continuity uh, to, to keep things on a, on the level. Yeah. Oh, okay. Very cool. So now how, if a mission comes in, what is your, your role for that mission? Do you review it, pass it on, or how does that pull, you know, from beginning to end? What's that workflow like? So that depends on the mission. Yeah. Um, we have like real deployments. We have training missions right now. There's no real combat going on, at least not for my unit. So, yeah. um, it depends. So usually, what ends up happening is we have to produce uh, a mission concept. Uh, military uh, lingo is a MyCon. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I'm usually in charge of proofreading everything. Yeah. Like nothing gets submitted before I put my eyes on it, even from the captain. Um, all the risk assessments and risk mitigation stuff, the captain is responsible for it. He briefs it. Ultimately, everything is his decision. But I'm generally the one that produces all of the documentation and kind of coaches him through all the processes that we use yeah. um, to make sure that we're not getting in over our heads and to make sure we're doing everything as, as safely as possible. Yeah. Um, and from that point on, it just really depends on everything that's going on. Uh, I'm Because I'm not strictly relegated to the admin stuff. Like I did used to be a medic. I did used yeah. to be an intel sergeant. I did used to be a team sergeant. So... Uh, when things are calm and I don't have 10 trees worth of paper in front of me that I have yeah. to sort out, um, I just help out, you know, the other guys and, uh, I, I try to at least have my fingers in everything. So I yeah. know everything that's going on and I'm oh. continuity between everyone else. 
Yeah, it's funny you said about you know piles of paperwork and like I've, you know a lot of the books I've read and and you know podcasts I've listened to, it sounds like you know a lot of them describe it as like death by PowerPoint before you can basically you know get into the action and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it really is. It really is a lot of administrative work to do anything. And yeah, um, even back when I was doing combat deployments to Afghanistan and Iraq, like the admin requirements started to pile up and pile up and pile up. And it was like, for us to get out the door, we had to submit like a 42 slide PowerPoint. Oh my God. Um, there's like, there's like a joke YouTube, like meme video about it yeah. where, uh, it's like, it's an, I don't know what the movie is. I've never seen the movie, Yeah. but it's like uh Hitler yelling at his, at his men oh, okay, about yeah. processes, but they like, they, uh, change the subtitles around to be complaining about like the mission concept process yeah. to get out the door. So there, it's been a, yeah, it, it keeps ramping up. Technology has not made it easier. Oh, that's too bad. Um, now I don't, you don't want to say this is a fun aspect, but you know, during your career, what's been some fun moments or like, yeah, I guess let's start with the fun moments. Like, you know, the ones that are like memorable is like, yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, I mean, all the all the training that we do is is super fun. I don't want to say all the training, but most yeah. of the training we do is super fun. Even the hard schools, like Ranger School, was a great time. And I recommend yeah. it to everybody that's in the military, you know, like, go to Ranger School. It's the best school I've been to. It is the best school I've been to. Yeah. Um, and I've just gotten some really fantastic training opportunities. I mean, I get to, like, I've done, like, helo casting. You jump out of a moving helicopter into water. Like it sounds silly, but it's, it's fun, you know, yeah. uh, low injury risk, you know, that's the kind of stuff I like doing the stuff yeah. that looks really cool. That feels good, but is low risk. Yeah. Um, jumping out of airplanes. Everyone thinks it's cool. I hate it. Yeah. Um, it just, it's a super high injury risk and I've never been hurt doing it, but yeah. I hurt every day, um, from my career and that probably has contributed to it. Yeah. Um, the shooting, you know, obviously we spend a lot of time on the range. Mm -hmm. Uh, the shooting we do is good. The CQB training we get is good. Um, and every, I've enjoyed every part of my career except for the paperwork, which yeah. unfortunately consumes a lot of time, Ugh, but, bad. um, I've, I've had some great trips, you know, I've got to work at uh, a couple different, like I've worked at the embassy in Chad, which is why I was in Germana. I've done several trips there. I met my fiance there. Oh, no way. Um, so, you know, that ranks high on the list. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, all the trial, everything's good. So Chad's been, you know, so you've been to Chad, what other exotic places that you've been to that, you know, that you could share? Yeah, I mean, oh, I've been to Afghanistan a few times, yeah. uh, Iraq once. Um, as far as Africa goes, I've only worked primarily in Chad, but yeah. I've seen uh, I've seen little bits of uh, Ethiopia, uh, Djibouti, uh, Kenya, um, and in the near future here, I'm getting ready to go to Senegal for a training mission, oh, which wow. I'm super excited about. Yeah, that's cool. And now, like, what you know, that's the peak. What's been the lowest? Like, where was like, where did you get deployed that you just like it was miserable? Um, <clears throat> absolutely miserable would have been my first Afghanistan deployment. Yeah. And that was in Southern Afghanistan. And the risk was just like, one, I was like 23 or 24 years old. You know, I didn't know anything about yeah. life, let alone like my job. Yeah. But it was like, I, I got to my team, which was awesome. It's like, oh, I'm going to my first special forces team. I'm super motivated. Yeah. And I got to my team. And while I was like preparing to like step in and start participating with the team, the team just had like back to back to back awful operations. Oh. Like, like they were in like, um, like helicopter crash. Yeah. Uh, a Chinook went down 
with oh. a bunch of guys in it. Yeah. Uh, the team sergeant got blown up. Oh He's still God. alive today, but yeah. uh, he got injured from an IED. Yeah. And then they were like near ambushed and a bunch of people got shot and the uh, senior medic got shot. Yeah. And so it was like, that was supposed to be my mentor. And now he's like recovering. He didn't die. You know, he's, yeah. he's still alive today also. But, um, and then I was like, man, that's where I'm going. Like, I'm not going to survive this trip. Yeah. And then, you know, we got over that, but then the whole, that whole rest of the trip, Southern Afghanistan in 2010 was just, uh, it was just a mess. Uh, yeah. it was very few fights that we had any real control over. Yeah. Um, because everywhere we went was just IEDs after IEDs after oh, IEDs. Wow. And you were just like tiptoeing. Yeah. Um, just, just praying that you didn't get blown up yeah. and there was very little action and a lot of, uh, a lot of stress. Yeah. Holy cow. All right. Let's talk some fun stuff. Guns. Yeah. So what's your, uh, preferred. So in, you, you talked about, you know, long range and CQB yep. when you're CQB, what is your, what is that gun for you? That ideal gun. How is it all kitted out? So my M4 is uh, my CQB gun. So let me roll this back. All right. <clears throat> back when we used to have Benelli's on our teams. We don't have the Benelli uh, Super 90 shotguns anymore. I get the dirtiest looks even among special forces when I say this, but I love doing CQB with a shotgun. Um, I did it for real. I, I was never trained to do that. I yeah. just did it in Afghanistan. Um, it got to where like we're going into compounds and yeah. our, our weapon is an M4. Like that's yeah. our go-to. Everybody carries an M4. Yeah. And 5.56 is just not a very hard hitting round. And if there's a guy inside a room and he's waiting for you to come in and you're the first guy through the door, yeah, like you're getting shot. There's yeah. there's no level of skill that's just gonna make you like know he's there through the wall, right? There's no like real life right. wall hacks. Yeah. And you're gonna get a beat <laughs> on him if he's sitting there barreled toward the door, like you're yeah. the one the number one man is getting shot, period. Yeah. And so it was like I I saw what five five six does to people when you shoot them, and it's not very impressive. Yeah. And so I started carrying the Benelli strapped to my pack. And, uh, whenever we would go into compounds, I would tight sling my M4 and pull the Benelli out and I would go in with that. Cause buckshot, I just had more confidence in it. Um, so that's my personal go-to, yeah. but we're not allowed to train that way. And we don't even have the Benelli's anymore. Oh, so, really? Oh, yeah. So, uh, the, uh, the M4 is it. Yeah. And, uh, it's kitted out. The cool thing about it is I could actually build a replica of my work gun in Tarkov. That is like, the all the same parts thing. are there. Yeah. That's the coolest yeah. thing about Tarkov. Yeah. So let me find, I can show you a picture of my, All right. uh, I have yeah. my work gun prepped here. Your I kind of prepared for this. So, yeah. Awesome. So, uh, now, but now there's... since you were the shotgun guy, so you're the first one through the door then you're, you know, you're, you shooting the, basically you shooting the lock, kicking it open and then you're going <clears> through or what? No, no. Breaching is a whole different animal. Um, right. this was, this was non, uh, non like, urban combat style CQB. This was like rural Afghanistan CQB. Okay. So regardless of where I was in the stack, I was still going in with the shotgun yeah. and I was usually not a breacher, but in Afghanistan during that time, we generally used explosives for breaching any kind of locked doors anyway. Yeah. So the firearm didn't really matter. Okay. Uh, so this is, so this is the work gun. So, uh, we got the LCAN one to four. Yeah. Um, we got the, uh, the Geisley, uh, foregrip or handguard. Yeah. Uh, the LA five laser, it's a surefire or, uh, no, it's not surefire insight, uh, gun light. And then generally I run a suppressor, um, yep. the surefire RC two suppressor, which matches that's the, um, that's the surefire SF three P flash hider. Yeah. 
And uh, this is the SOP mod buttstock. I actually don't run that anymore. I have a I have a better one. I have the um, the Magpul uh, MOE yeah. that I run now. And then that's a over molded grip. Okay. So you can you can build this exact thing in Tarkov. Uh, and now, do you run, flashlight, run but. 30 or 60s from a magazine for what's that? Stand? Uh, Do you run a 30 oh, mag or a 6 mag? 30s. Yeah, okay. 30s, yeah, 60s. The, the 60s, no, no one runs those. They're not reliable. Okay. They come up all the time. Yeah. Uh, they don't fit in our kit. Like, yeah. they don't fit in the mag pouches. Everyone runs 30s. And so you never see a 100? <laughs> no. <laughs> now, for the average person who may have never picked up a rifle before, how much, mm -hmm. you know, what is the weight of, you know, that you're kitted out weapon with a 30 round. Um, oh man, I don't know. I'd have to put it on a scale. Probably, <laughs> I don't know, eight pounds. Yeah. Seven pounds. Yeah. It's not that heavy. Um, it's not something you're going to swing around one handed. Right. But, yeah. You know, it's, it's really not. Heavy. And the Elkan's a heavy scope. A lot of the guys on my team don't run an Elkan. I'm the only guy on my team that still uses an Elkan. And okay. that's a habit from my Afghanistan days because there's a lot yeah. more fighting at range. Most of our guys run a EOTech mm -hmm. with a three by magnifier, and those two combined weigh less than uh, than my Elkan. Wow. So theirs are a little bit lighter. Also, we just got new lasers uh, that are smaller and lighter. So yeah. the whole thing is is it's not a heavy gun. Okay. So now, what is you know if you're going for range, what is your your you know your weapon of choice for that? So we have like long range shooting. We have several options for that. Yeah. So we have a. Uh, it's essentially an RSAS, but it's not it's not technically the RSAS. Yeah. Um we have I could show you pictures of all these if you're interested. Um we got the RSAS, we have these awesome Remington 700s yeah. with uh completely like customized stock and uh and buttstock setup. They're chambered yeah. in 300 Win Mag. And both of those guns, both the RSAS, so the the um, Remington 700 and the, you know, that's a bolt action, obviously, and the yeah. RSAS is semi-auto. But both of those are capable of reaching out over a 1,000 meters. Oh, wow. Um, so the 300 Win Mag is great. Um, yeah. You know, it is technically more accurate as a bolt action. Uh, but with the scopes that we run, in almost any situation, I would almost rather just have the 308 uh, yeah. semi-auto. Um, the ballistics aren't as forgiving, but we're also usually not shooting out that far. Usually yeah. you can't even see that far. Uh, so the semi-auto is what okay. I would choose. All right. And now when you're going out, you know, on a, a mission or whatnot, like you're, you know, some kicking indoors and whatnot, how many mags are you taking, backup mags are you taking, and same with, like, pistol mags? So the standard is uh, a basic load is 210 rounds for 5.56. Five, yeah. So that's six magazines on my kit and one in the gun. Yeah. So generally, that's what I carry. Uh, my kit has three magazines in the front, three on the back. Yeah. And uh, they're like kind of mounted upside down so I can still pull them out from the backside yeah. and reinsert them. And then uh, usually I carry three extra mags in my backpack. Yeah. So so I'm carrying about 300 rounds. Holy cow. And now, what do you, I didn't ask, what is your sidearm of choice? Uh, so right now, it's we got the new SIG uh, Mark 17 pistols. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a striker fire um, you know, some auto pistol is great. Uh, I like it better than the Glocks. I'm not a Glock guy. Yeah. So we've been carrying Glocks for like a decade. Yeah. Uh, Glock 17s, Glock 19s. And we just got the SIG pistols 
And again, I'm like the only guy on the team that uses the SIG pistol. Everyone's still using their Glocks because they all have red dot sights for the Glocks yeah. and everything. We don't have the adapter plate to put red dots on the SIGs yet, so I'm, I'm back to iron sights. Yeah. Uh, but I just like the pistol a lot better. It's got a better trigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the recoil is more manageable. Um, I think it's just a better gun. Yeah. So uh, okay. I, I like the SIG. And now from a you know, flashbang grenade loadout, what is your typical loadout for that? Um, man, I haven't had my kit set up for real combat in a long time, but generally I have a flashbang on my back Yeah, and that's for the guy behind me to grab. Okay. Um, and usually two frag grenades on my pistol belt, kind of on my hip. Um, and that's, that's, oh, and then when I was a medic, I always carried several smoke grenades, uh, cause purple smoke was our method for marking like a medevac helicopter. So as a medic, I carried smoke grenades, but, uh, now that I'm not, I, I don't carry them anymore. All right. Cool. All right, let's talk some gaming. When did you cool. start playing video games? Oh, I, I, you said like you were six years old. Six years old. Six years old. So yeah, I uh, I started early. I got an NES when I was really little. Um, played Mario. You know, I sucked at it because I was too little. Um, mm-hmm. So my dad had to help out there. Um, but really, getting into gaming was actually thanks to my grandfather. Like oh, okay. my parents, my parents didn't game. They they just like the Nintendo was just an expense to them. You know. Yeah. Uh, my grandfather like played computer games yeah and uh so he used to play like i remember he got wolfenstein 3d in 1992 and i was at my grandparents house and i was like what's that and i started learning and so uh probably you know six years old is probably a little too young for that kind of game but (laughs) you know i started gunning down nazis and yeah and i got hooked and he was always the one that had the new computer games that came out um and it just grew on me so uh, we ended up, we didn't have a great deal of money growing up, but, yeah. uh, we needed a computer in the house, uh, for like my mom's work. So, yeah. uh, I've you know, always make an argument, get something more powerful, you know, like, like the, you know, if the 486 ain't going to cut it or the, <laughs> yeah. you know, like the, the Pentium two, yeah. um, you know, I need that for this game. And I just started playing everything, but it was shooters that really had me hooked. So yeah. I played everything up to like, I remember when like the, I mean, the internet had been out for a while, but yeah. commercialized in the little poor area that I grew up in, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, like we got internet and it was dial up, you know, like yeah. 56K. And I remember playing like Star Wars, Dark Forces 2, Jedi Knight, like yeah. online. And it just had like people complain about Tarkov's netcode. Those people didn't play <laughs> video games in the 90s no. with dial up internet. All right. Because yeah. like everything was client side except for damage. And so you'd be running around having these lightsaber fights with people that are like teleporting all over the screen. You have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And then you just randomly die. Yeah. And it was it was hilarious and fun. And yep. so I got hooked. That's what got me hooked on online games. Yeah. And then I got into uh Team Fortress Classic, you know, when Half-Life came out. Yeah. And then uh Counter-Strike. Counter-Strike yep. was the first game I played that was online and realistic. Like I played Rainbow Six and some of these other ones, but Yeah. Counter-Strike was online and at the time it was kind of like a tactical realistic thing. Yeah. And so I played that ever since it was in like beta 3.1. It was a free mod for Half-Life. Yeah. And it was a little bit rough around the edges and I literally played that consistently all the way up until like into adulthood all the way up until rainbow six siege came out and that was the first time i felt compelled to try a new like competitive online shooter and i switched to siege you know and then i found tarkov oh man so now how did you get your gaming fix when you got deployed i just don't game when i'm deployed yeah um well the combat deployments like i didn't have time yeah we would have like I think on one of them, we had uh, one of the deployments. We did have a PlayStation 3. Yeah. 
and like some hockey games. Yeah. And so we would when the when the whole team had nothing going on because yeah. like a mission got canceled because there was no aircraft or something, we would yeah. all we would all have like hockey tournaments, you know. But to me, that's not like real gaming, you know? right? <laughs> um, so we would we would play a little bit of PlayStation and have some yeah. fun with it. Oh, cool. Um, but for the most part, we didn't have time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So our favorite game. How did you get hooked? What got you hooked into Tarkov? Oh man, just the immersion. The yeah. the immersion was just phenomenal. You know, I can I can imagine some of the scenarios and and let me preface this by saying like I do not think Tarkov is realistic in the ways yeah. that a lot of people describe it. Um, it, it has realistic aspects, but nothing about the way you play Tarkov is the way you would do anything in real life. Um, so what's immersive. Yeah. Tarkov, it's like, and it's, this is a great conversation about realism versus immersion. Tarkov is, Mm -hmm. you know, immerses, immersions, uh, immerses you into a great environment. And yeah, if you really try to make it realistic, I can't imagine it would be fun. It was just, it's. Yeah, you know? but that's but that's all. Yeah, like we're gonna talk about realism, and people are like, "Oh, like a new feature. Oh, that's not realistic. Oh, you know what else isn't realistic? Picking something up and having it teleport to your backpack. Why don't you take your backpack off every time you loot an item, and then you have to open it and then put the item in, and then put your backpack back on? Right. People would lose their minds. Yeah. So like like more realism doesn't necessarily mean more good. Mm-hmm. Um, but the immersion side of it, like everything that matters when it comes to immersion, is there. Like the yeah. visuals are immersive. It it looks. It looks real enough, you know? Yeah. I can build my real guns, like all the guns that I use in real life. Like I use MP5 SDs in yeah. real life. I can use them in Tarkov. You know, they're not great in Tarkov, but they work. Yeah. The same thing. When I build my work gun, it's not a meta M4. It sucks, but I like using <laughs> it because it feels like I'm carrying my gun, you yeah. know, because it looks the same. The sounds. Yeah, Tarkov has its sound problems, but that, the sounds themselves are fantastic. Yeah. The gunshots sound good. The environment sounds good. Footsteps are obnoxious, but yes, and bushes. Like, yeah, but it's like that's what's immersive about it, and that's what got me hooked uh, more so than than anything else. Like, I said, yeah. like I think Rainbow Six Siege was immersive. That's not realistic at all. Yeah, but the the tactical play is is really fun for me. Yeah, cool. So something, and going back to what I talked about earlier, and why the whole conversation started is, you know, one of the things with Tarkov when I started playing it, when I started playing with friends. It was horrible because when we were trying to call out things, mm-hmm. we don't, you know, is there, oh, there's a guy over there. Where? That behind that tree and, you know, to your left. Well, that's not my left. That's your left. And, you know, so I was always wondered, somebody who has military training like yourself, is there an advantage when you come into games like Tarkov if you're playing with other, you know, other buddies who have, you know, experience? I think there would be if I played with other people that had the exact same experience and training. Because yeah. even among different military units, you have different standards for communication and, and how you guys work internally. Yeah. So like I duo with a guy that's also in the military and he's not special forces, but he's in the military. And um, I actually haven't dueled with him in a while. I think he's getting burned out of Tarkov. But uh. um, like I feel like I just annoy him with yeah. our communication because every five seconds I'm like, hey, man, where are you at? Hey, yeah. this is where I'm at. Where are you at? Hey man, I'm going here. Where are you? And I feel like I'm always feeding him information and asking yeah. him information. And it probably annoys the heck out of him when he's just got to always answer me. Yeah. But for me, it's like in my mind, I'm always visualizing where friendlies are. Yeah. Cause I have to do that in real life. So That's what I, was going I to always want to know. And you move around in Tarkov a lot faster than you move around in real life. Yeah. So for me, it's like this constant movement and keeping track of everything so that if I do see something, I know without second guessing it whether or not it's a threat. Yeah. Um, 
But the communication is so much different in real life because in real life, your environment's different, your mission's different, your prep, your preparation is different. Yeah. So like in Tarkov, once you play Tarkov for a couple months, you know the maps. Right. And once you know the maps, like you now have a better handle on the maps than anywhere you're going to go in real life if you haven't been there before. Yeah. Whereas in real life, we study imagery yeah. and maps, but until you actually see it with your own eyes in that, that context, it's still a little bit confusing. You don't know how everything is. Yeah. Um, now, how so do you do I, call like with, you know, so you're going into a new environment. What are, you know, do you guys have standard call outs or you guys review the images and then you sort of pick what, well, here's what we're going to call this and things like that. So I could actually show you. So this is the, the village on shoreline. Yeah. This map is courtesy of, you know, map genie. Um, <clears throat> so this is a close up of the village on shoreline west of the cottages. Yeah. And so, you know, you have the north-south running road, the east-west running roads. Yeah. And I turn this into what we call a GRG, a ground reference guide. Okay. So this is generally what we carry. Back in the day, we carried these, like, actually printed out on paper. Now we have, like, you know, Samsung S20s that we can save all this digitally on and carry on an operation. Yeah. But the way we communicate location and movement is we quadrant off the objective, usually into four quadrants. Yeah. Um, so you could see the numbers on the uh, the buildings from top left and then going counterclockwise. It starts with like the 100 series, the 200 series. Okay. Um, I actually went out of order. Then you have 400 series and the three, the compound 301 there. Yeah. So we go by like we number all the compounds and that's how we communicate. So if I were moving into here with a team from the south. Yeah. And let's say my team would split. Let's say we're going in with with 12 people. Yeah. And then my six, I'd say, hey, we're going, we're hitting compound 202, and then we're going to hop the wall into 201. Okay, yeah. got it. We're going to compound 403. We'll get on the roof of 403, and we'll hold fast until you're ready to move to cover their movement. Yeah. And so everything is by compound numbers and callouts. Okay. And you're not generally confused when you're inside of a compound with your guys because you're always moving together, and you never leave anybody by themselves. Yeah. You know, in, in Tarkov, you end up by yourself all the time and you separate from your guys. In real life, you never want to be by yourself. You're always yeah. with somebody. And so it's a lot less confusing when you're all inside the same building. Yeah. If that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and so we use imagery like this, even on the ground, even when there's confusion. That way, hey, like if someone takes shots at me from compound 103, I'm just like, hey, I'm in 201 taking contact from 103. It's about 50 meters uh... northwest to my position. Yeah. So everything is is using these callouts, and then we have other points that we can mark on it. Like I have up on the hill OP one. All right, that's OP one because it overlooks the the cottages. Yeah. We had like HLZ one. Like that's our medevac HLZ. If someone goes down, that's where we take them. Yeah. And so all this is planned and studied ahead of time, and then we carry this imagery with us. Yeah. And usually this is actually satellite imagery, so it's yeah. a lot more detailed with less kind of like symbols on it. Yeah. Um. But this was the best I could do for Tarkov. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the real, and we're also in real life, you know, your, your objectives aren't as, uh, they're just not as complex. Yeah. Um, you know, as Tarkov, like you're not trying to take down an entire Tarkov map. It would be right. like, like that's a reasonably sized objective. Yeah. Okay. That's really cool. And now from a comm standpoint, is it as chattery as like you were like you said when you played that other guy who was in the military? You're you know, you're you're actually, you know, giving information and looking to receive information all the time. Is it that chatter chatty in real life? It can be. Yeah. Um, but it fluctuates. Yeah. Um 
it, it can it can be and it can be incredibly frustrating because in real life especially if you're like the detachment commander or you're part of the leadership usually you have two radios yeah so you have one just for your team internal comms and then you have one for like up and out to talk yeah. to your higher command to you know request support or give updates or anything so yeah. when one element is either in a jam or in a fight or something's going on but then other people are trying to pass information it can get really muddy yeah. With like, you're trying to filter out what you care about and what you don't. Yeah. And, or you're trying to have a conversation with someone next to you, like physically right next to you, yeah. but you just have constant radio traffic coming in your headset and you can't even hear yourself talk. And so yeah. you end up just like unplugging from the radio. Yeah. So you could have a, but then you don't want to do that because you might miss something important. So yeah. it can be really frustrating when the radio traffic gets, uh, gets really like muddy in real yeah. life. And yeah, it, it requires a lot of discipline to like oh, be bet. concise. Yeah. So now I know in the crew I run with, there's always that one guy that's chatty and just doesn't shut up. Is that in real life too? Sometimes you get one of your guys that are just like, guy, just shut up. It can be, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> of course. Um, if you want, I can show you, I don't know if it'll come across on the stream uh, or it'll play on the video, but I can show you a little bit of actual combat footage. Oh, shoot. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I actually run a, uh, I run like a trucker mic so you yep. could hear the radio comms. Oh, cool. Yeah, Roger, we're taking contact from the south. No casualties, 100%. Hey, Chiwale! What's up? No casualties. Uh, no, no visible contact on the enemy now. They ran. Roger. Hey, contact on enemy vicinity compound 304. <laughs> Jim Slaby, our frontline trace is compound 302. We're still locking down the street and uh, we got commandos up on the So there you go. So there's a little wow. bit. Wow. So you get the radio traffic. Um, yeah. Where like this is where I'm at. This is where this is where we're taking contact from. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> you get to see me trade shots with that guy. You can kind of hear him shooting back every time yeah. I shoot. Um. Now two things that came out but, of that that I I you know noticed or wanted to ask about. First of all, mm -hmm. 
how loud that is with multiple weapons being fired. I'm assuming everybody's got ear protection in or. Uh, it, it's loud. Um, yeah. and I should have given you a volume warning. I didn't realize I had VLC <laughs> okay. turned up so loud, so I apologize. But, uh, it's, it's loud. Um, usually we wear like the Peltors, the Peltor yeah. Compact 2s are what we run. We actually just got the new ones. We got the new castles, which I think are in Tarkov. I think they're the ones that lock into the helmet. Oh, okay. Um, so we just got those also. Um, but I'm a unique case where I don't use the Peltors during daylight. Yeah. Um, that's why I use the trucker mic. So oh, okay. for me, it just hurts because I never run around with my ear protection in and I never think to put it in yeah. once the fighting starts because you're just in it, in it at that point. Right. Um, but I have trouble with the Peltors because when I aim down my rifle, yeah. the buttstock hits the, the oh. contacts and they push my glasses out of the way. Yeah. And I'm blind without my glasses. Okay. So uh, generally, I don't run them during daytime, but at night I do because we run our lasers. Yeah. And now you were, you had, what was that in Afghanistan? That footage? That was from? Afghanistan. Yep. So you yeah. had Afghani Afghanistani forces with you, embedded in with you, or you were yes. embedded with them? Yeah, pretty much everyone you see in that video is yeah. uh, is one of our Afghan partners. Yeah. Um, the Afghan commandos is like their equivalent of uh, their rangers. Yeah. And that's who I've worked with through most of my deployments. Um, so I'm surrounded by them. Uh, I don't think the nearest SF guy to me is pretty far away. Oh, wow. So And then you've got to have a translator there, clearly, right? Or a couple, possibly? Yep. Yep. So the guy that was behind me in the bright blue jacket, he was yeah. one of our translators. Yeah. Uh, he's an Afghani dude. Um, and then also I, at the time, I don't really speak it well anymore, but I spoke Dari pretty well. Yeah. Um, so I was able to communicate a lot, uh, without him, but for anything that was like conversationally complex, yeah. um, or very specific, I, I really needed the translator to yeah. get the point across. Wow. That was crazy. Well, thank you for sharing that. That is, that yeah. is awesome. So, uh, let's see. Where was I going to go to next? Oh, adrenaline. So yeah. you're being shot at in, and you know, if you're going from, you know, crossing a road or something like that, you got your gear on, you're running across the road, you're being shot at. Do you feel like just a burst of adrenaline or are you immune to it? At, you know, after you do so many tours? No, no, the adrenaline's there. Uh, yeah. like anytime, anytime bullets start flying, I don't care how experienced you are. Your, your, your heart rate goes up, you know, yeah. that's, that's, uh, that's a challenging situation. Um, but, but yeah, you definitely get a boost of adrenaline. It'd, it'd be no different as if like, you know, you're, you're playing a sport, like you're yeah. playing hockey and, and you get the puck. Yeah. You get used to it, but you're yeah. still going to skate as fast as you can, no matter how tired you are for that yeah. 15 seconds, you know, because, because that's what you do. Yeah. Um, your body just responds and, and you use that response to your benefit. So it's no different in combat. Yeah. Uh, you're going to get that boost of adrenaline. Um, I wish they had something like that in Tarkov because I hate right. Tarkov when you get shot and your, your stamina goes to nothing. And it's like, you know, I, I get it. If your femur gets shattered, you're not going to run anywhere, but this is right. a video game. So yeah. this is where we go. Like the realism versus not thing. Yeah. And, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I would like to see it where you get, if a bullet flies by, you know how, when you have a near miss, your screen still kind uh -huh. of blurs for a second, right? Yeah. If that happens, or if you get shot, yeah. I would like to see like your stamina bar, like turn yellow. Yeah. And you basically have like, like double the stamina mm -hmm. for about 20 seconds. Yeah. So that gives you time to either get away or flank. But yeah. after that 20 seconds, your stamina bar shrinks and you have heavy breathing for like another 20 seconds. Yep. So if you use it to flank, you're still going to be tired when you get there and you're going right. to be at a disadvantage. Or if you use it to get away, you have some time to recover yep. or like 
get together or if you don't use it entirely like if you only sprint a little bit and don't use all that adrenaline you don't get penalized at the end right but at yep. least give you the option because just being stuck in the open when you get shot at is just ridiculous it is yeah because you're being shot at there should be some boost and then you pay for yeah. it but yeah i agree like 100%. i don't care how tired you are i don't care if you just ran seven miles and you feel like you're about to fall over and die yeah if someone shoots at you you're gonna start running faster yeah like Absolutely. i don't like your body will figure it out yeah yeah so now when it comes to tactics, like when you play with, you know, you play with the other, uh, you know, fellow uh, soldier, did you guys mm -hmm. leverage tactics you knew? I'm, I'm assuming, you know, there's like the basics tactics you, you know, everybody learns when you go, you know, into any type of con combat probably. Right. And do you <clears throat> leverage any of that or is that, is that a benefit? Have you found playing with other people? I think the biggest thing that we leverage, so, so the, the short answer is not really, we just yeah. played a Tarkov's gameplay mechanics right but yeah the biggest thing we leverage is we're very comfortable playing separate from each other yeah and so generally like in real life you would have like two squads separate from each other not two people yeah you know you, we kind of treat ourselves like our own little one-man army yeah but we're very comfortable splitting up mm -hmm. and kind of covering each other so like if we're if we get like this this the close spawn on on customs yeah. to go to dorms right i'm always going yeah. to dorms i got a mark room key i'm going to hit it yeah and so usually without even talking we know what each other are going to do like he knows i'm going to sprint the, the straightest line i can to get into dorms yeah and i know that he is going to go and he's going to either not run all the way to dorms or run right past it depending on what side we set up on yeah and he's going to overwatch on the hill and just watch the side entrance that faces the street yeah. or for anyone coming up over the hill and he's just going to cover it and even if he doesn't take shots he's going to call it out yeah so i know someone's coming in and then I can preemptively shoot back, get him stuck on the stairs, and he could pick him off. Yeah. So we're very comfortable not playing right next to each other all the time and supporting each other. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, any time we cross a big open area, a lot of times one of us will hang back and kind of cover the other one's movement, and we don't move up until we can't cover anymore. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. So now, what are some things in Tarkov you would like to, you know, that you would like to see into the game? Uh... What I would like to see that I think actually could make it into the game is I would like the night vision devices to work more like they do in real life. Okay. So right now, like what I would like to see is right now you get the recoil advantage when you have a laser on. Yeah. I hate that. That's yeah. not realistic at all. I wish that would just go away. Yeah. But the way people use the lasers where they have the IR floodlight on, right? So the lasers have mm -hmm. an IR floodlight in the game that's yeah. almost invisible to the naked eye. You can see it a little bit, but it's almost yeah. invisible to the naked eye. Well, in real life, if you have night vision on, that's going to work like a flashlight or like a floodlight. Right. But in Tarkov, they don't. Yeah. So I wish they did so that you that would give you, if you're going to spend the money on night vision, you're going to run that more expensive kit, you should have an advantage over people not wearing night vision. You should be able to see better, uh, yeah. like even more so. And Or if people run the cheap night vision, they should get washed out worse than the more expensive night vision when you point that floodlight at them. Yeah. So I would like to see the... Uh, the night vision devices work more. Same thing with like the IR lasers. They should have an IR laser that's only visible under night vision. Yes. Um, because in real life, like I don't, I've never looked down my sights with night vision on. Yeah. When it's when it's dark out, you wear night vision, you just run the laser. And that's yeah. that's what you got. Like I couldn't even get my head all the way behind the sight <laughs> with the night vision sticking out because I don't yeah. I don't mount it that way. It's not set up for that. And now um, what are the battery lifetime or battery, you know, how much battery do you get on your typical MVGs that you're running? 
Uh, so the ones we have right now, um, are the white phosphorus tubes. They're two tubes. Uh, yeah. so they actually look more like the blue night vision in Tarkov, but they're yeah. definitely more clear and a, and a better quality night vision. Okay. Um, they run on one double a battery. Yeah. Uh, if it's a lithium battery, you get out, like you get a few hours out of it. Oh, okay. Um, if it's a non-lithium battery, you get about 10 minutes. So oh, they wow. really depend. I don't know how, I don't know the, the finer details of the technology, yeah. but they really need a lithium battery to maintain. I think lithium battery holds a more stable voltage while it drains. Yeah. So they really need that increased voltage. Uh, if you run like an alkaline battery, they, they just die almost instantly. Okay. Uh, so, so you have to be careful what you're carrying, but we also always carry like a bag full of extra batteries. Yeah. And then it's good practice. Like I, even more than a couple hours, I would say even more cause we'll get a whole, an entire nighttime cycle out of one night vision battery. Oh, okay. Um, but then when it's daytime, you switch out your batteries, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so we're always running, you know, fresh batteries. And how about the thermal scopes? What's your take on the thermal scopes in the game? Uh, in the game, I like them. Yeah. Uh, I think the refresh rate sucks. Like the Reap IR in real life has a much smoother, clearer image, uh, oh, that really? updates faster than it does in Tarkov. Yeah. I've oh. seen them. We don't have the Reap, the Reap IRs at work. Yeah. The, the thermal scopes that we have at work are like $80,000 scopes that i don't even know if you can commercially buy or if you can i don't know who would buy them because they're so expensive yeah but they are crystal clear um and have a ton of range on them like they're yeah. they're awesome oh, wow. uh but <clears throat> and then we actually used to have we don't have them anymore uh it was never actually a special operations item it was a conventional military item but we had this night vision called psq20s which were a uh, night vision monocular you know you just okay, have yeah. one tube but you, they actually had a thermal module built into them. And oh, wow. so you could do a thermal overlay over your night vision. So you yeah. get best of both worlds. So oh, you wow. weren't limited by just the heat signatures. You could see clear as day, but yeah. it would also highlight thermal signatures. Oh, wow. That's cool. Uh, so that was, those were pretty neat. Yeah. But they were big and heavy and people didn't like running them because they were bulky. Yeah. All right. What else would you like to see added to Tarkov? What's realistically probably going to be, could be added versus, you know, what, you know, if you had an, had Nikita's here, we need this in Tarkov. What I would like to see different, which will probably not change because it's just, it would be too much work and it would change too much stuff. But I would like to see a, a total reconstruction of the flashbangs. Yeah. Um, I, the flashbangs, no video game that I know of has ever gotten them right. Yeah. Um, I've never played any of the mill sims, so maybe like Arma does it right or something, but like yeah. Tarkov does not. And it's not, I mean, it is what it is. Every game does it, but like flashbangs don't blind people. Like, period. They just don't. Oh, they just, okay. They just kind of pop and they're loud. Yeah. And there is a flash, but it's not like. It doesn't last 30 seconds. It's, it's or... no different than if you like looked into a flashlight and like flicked it on for just a second. Like, it's not oh, going to okay. blind you or scar your vision. Um, yeah. I mean, I have a video of a flashbang I can show you. If uh, if you're interested. Oh, absolutely. This is all right. Okay, so like this is this is a flashbang. This is all it does. It's not very impressive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that guy's out there. <laughs> yeah, and we and we just scared him with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's awful. It's it's just loud. Yep. You know, gotcha. it's just loud. Um. But we use them differently. So uh, the way we use them in real life when we do CQB is like, you know, flashbang is, is kind of a slang term. Like what they're called are diversionary grenades. Yeah. And what we do with them is you, you throw them as a diversion into a room. So we chase them into a room. Yeah. 
like we're usually like usually the number one man if you're doing cqb is like in the room with the flashbang when it goes off yeah. and they have a very short fuse it's like a one and a half second fuse you saw the time difference between me throwing right. it, it didn't even hit the ground it just blew up in the air yeah so generally your breacher whoever your breacher is is not the number one man he's gonna open the door hit throw the flashbang in and get out of the way and then he becomes the last man in oh okay. so <clears throat> the flashbang goes in and the number one man is following that in and the whole wow. idea is to just if someone's watching the door waiting is to take their attention off the door and startle them for a split second yeah <clears throat> just to give that number one man the chance to pull the trigger first yeah that's what they're for and so what i would like to see in tarkov like i feel like you could do that in tarkov but mm -hmm. people wouldn't understand the mechanic of it. They would think like flashbangs are useless if they didn't blind you. Exactly. Yeah. But if you if you prep the flashbang and then you hit the button to throw, it shouldn't be this like three second animation where he like pulls the pin and like and then throws it. Yeah. They should just have a mechanic where if you're holding a flashbang and you hit the grenade button or you hit the fire button, yeah. it's instant. It's like it's like a fraction of a second where he just chucks it in the door. Yeah. And then it should sound exactly like a real grenade when yeah. it hits the ground. So people in there don't know what to do. Oh. So if you're out there, let's say, let's say you're in dorms and someone's yeah. hiding in one of the bedrooms and you're in a two man. All right. One person's locking down the door with his gun. The other person preps a flashbang. Yeah. And then he chucks a flashbang in the room. The person in the room just hears a grenade come in the room. Right. It shouldn't sound different from a, from a grenade like they do right now. Right. Yeah. So he doesn't know. So now what's he going to do? He's either going to come out which yeah. is he's going to have, he's going to come out shooting, but someone already has a gun on the door or you throw it in and he hears the sound and you've already run in the room after it. And yeah. by the time he processes it, you're already in his face shooting him because you distracted him with your throw. Yeah. Like that's how I would like to see him use. Cause that's realistic. And I think it would work in Tarkov if oh, people yeah. used him that way. Yeah. But like you said, right if now, people understood what they, yeah. how they would be used. Yeah. But right now flashbangs in Tarkov are just kind of, like you use them for that task that you need to kill flashbang people with and <laughs> exactly. you don't use them anymore. Nope. You know, cause they don't so do anything. True. Yeah. Oh. All right. Or you blind yourself. Right. You, yes. You, you Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So another question I, I've always wanted to ask, uh, you know, somebody in special forces, you know, all the movies I've seen and, and whatnot, you know, movies you've seen are any of them that really have come close to, you know, sort of depicting what that environment is really like. Like a combat environment? Yeah. Uh, the biggest, the best one I think that shows, so for CQB, the best yeah. one I've seen that shows like kind of accurate CQB was Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah. You know, I mean, that movie's like three hours long with 10 minutes of action, but that right. 10 minutes of action at the end is yeah. like, they're moving slow. Yeah. They're taking well-placed shots, you know, and that's, that's the difference between training for real life stuff and training like you see, like you can go on YouTube and I've talked to Veritas a little bit about this too. Like yeah. you go on YouTube and you watch all the cool guy videos of them like running around the range and they're right. shooting fast and they're running target to target and everything's like quick draw. And if you watch, and I'm, I'm not down talking that, like that is yep. a legitimate training. That's hard to do. It requires a lot of practice. You got someone yeah. like clean, right? Like clean, yeah. great content creator, phenomenal shooter. Like he goes out there and, and he's like burning down the range. Yeah. And that's really good for competition shooting, mm -hmm. but that's not the way you do it tactically in a CQB environment yeah. if you're actually moving. Because for us, when we're moving into a compound, if we're going in there and treating it as a CQB environment, <clears throat> the expectation is people are in there waiting for us to come in and try to, they're going to defend themselves. Like yeah. we're going to fight. And so once you make entry, they probably know you're coming. 
Like we've probably explosive breached whatever locked door was between us and them. Yeah. And now we're going through a house or a compound or a building and they know we're in there. They're just waiting. Yeah. And so for us, CQB is very deliberate, but slow. So we don't ever walk faster than we can shoot. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that's another thing. These are like, we, again, we shoot five, five, six, right? Well-placed shots matter. Yeah. Five, five, six are like little bee stings. Unless you put around directly through someone's heart yeah. or directly through their nose, they're still fighting after you shoot them. They don't just fall over right. like in the movies, right? Like yeah. they, they still got a lot of fight in them. Yeah. So, uh, very well placed shots. So when you see like your, your competition shooters are running around, they're shooting steel. As long right. as they hit steel or as long as they hit the big zone on the target, they're good. They're not losing points. Yeah. For us, the, the standard of accuracy is much tighter. Like the yeah. standard of accuracy is like your little face box and your little yeah. heart box. And so we don't move any faster than we could shoot accurately because we're never going to outrun the bullet. Like there's yeah. no point in moving faster than what you're going to hit something with the bullet. So we, if you actually watch us do CQB, it's actually quite boring to watch because we're like slow rolling through the house. Even when we go into a room, yeah. you know, you like kind of sweep across the doorway yeah. slowly because you're using the doorway as cover peeking little right. by little. And yeah. the only thing you're exposing is like a little bit of your head and your yeah. muzzle. And so that's all that should be exposed to any threat, which even if they're ready for you, that's hard to hit. Yeah. And then once we walk into the room, it's usually a quick step through the doorway to get out of everyone else's way. Yeah. But then you're slow, you're slow rolling. You're, you're like marching band, like pace, like you're right. just slow walking. So you can maintain that sight picture and place accurate shots. Oh, wow. Okay. Hey, this has been awesome so far. I really appreciate you taking the time. This is this no worries. Great. Yeah. Um, so with, uh, with all that being said, we're uh, almost at an hour. So, uh, two things. So mm -hmm. I didn't tell you about this one. But as a sign of appreciation, I'd like to make a donation to a charity of, you know, some military charity that's that, you know, means something to you. So if you, I'm catching you off the off guard here, but if there's one, you know, I, you know, just let me know. And, and I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I can give you one. So the uh, Duskin and Stevens Foundation. Right. So Mike Duskin and Riley Stevens were two guys on my team that were killed in 2012. They're, they're two of the notches on the shield. Okay. Um, give you a little background on that. So that's uh, when I started streaming. I never even planned on making affiliate. Like I just streamed to like engage with people and make Tarkov a little more fun. Yeah. Um, but, you know, now I do I do have a monetized channel and uh, and I do make a little bit. But everything I make, like I, I won't profit from Twitch. Yeah. Like, not while I'm in the military. I won't profit from Twitch. All the money either goes into paying off some of the, or like repaying myself for some of the streaming gear that I bought. Yeah. And then all the excess gets donated to the Duskin Stevens foundation. Okay. So, uh, what that was, was after the year that Mike Duskin Riley Stevens died, um, we were still deployed. And so some of our friends, our mutual friends back at Fort Bragg here in North Carolina, uh, set up like a barbecue slash fundraiser, um, to just get everyone, get the families together of the fallen, get all their yeah. friends together and kind of celebrate their life. Yeah. While also doing some fundraising and raising money to help like take care of their kids and do a little bit extra for them. Yeah. Well, we ended up having like a thousand people show up to this huge thing. And we ended up raising like over a hundred thousand dollars for Holy the family. Wow, that's fantastic. And so we did it again the next year and we yeah. raised like even more money. But it's like, okay, we can't just keep giving money to the families over and over again. There has to be a higher purpose for this yeah. thing because now it's a thing. So the Duskin Stevens Foundation sponsors all kinds of things now. They sponsor a Mount Kilimanjaro climb every year for families yeah. of, of fallen soldiers. 
Uh, they they put up scholarships for children of, of fallen special operations guys. Um, and it's a I don't remember the tax designation, but it's a it's a nonprofit organization yep. now. It's it's turned into a real thing with the board of directors and yep. uh, and they do a ton of good work for uh, for the families of special operations guys that have been killed. Perfect. So it's a it's a great organization. Yeah. All right. I'll get the links and whatnot, you know, after and uh, yeah, and we'll, you know, give that a shout out and hopefully get some uh, money raised for them. Awesome. I appreciate cool. that. No problem. So now the last thing is, who would you like to see on Tardux? Man, see, I knew this question was coming because you <laughs> ask it to everyone else, but yeah. I'm really bad at being involved in the community because, like I said, I just play. Oh, my camera's so dark. Sorry. I didn't even notice that. It's all right. Uh, I'm, I'm not a professional streamer, clearly. You got my kitchen <laughs> in the background. Um, now, out of the ones you do watch, who would, who would you like to see come on Tardux? So you haven't had Jesse, have you? We've had Jesse on my other pod, Hideout. On the Hideout. Okay, yeah. you've had him on Hideout. So, of course, Jesse's good. Uh, so this is a person that I haven't – I've only ever typed like four things in their chat and basically said, yeah. hey, man, I like your content. So he has no idea who I am. Okay. If you tell him I sent you, he's going to be like, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Um, but Robin. Okay, yeah. R-O-B-N. Um, yeah. Uh, Polish dude, lives in Texas. He yeah. is just one of the most chill, like – Tarkov streamers, he's always pleasant to watch. Yeah. I feel like he's never salty. Yeah. He's really good at Tarkov. And even when things go poorly, he just shakes it off better than anybody else. Yeah. And is just pleasant to watch. But he also, I haven't seen him live too often. So he might be yeah. taking a break from Tarkov. That's all right. I will but get I, him and we'll guilt, guilt him into coming on. Yeah. He's one of the few people like I actually lurk in their channels. Like Veritas, I'm active in their chat. Jesse, yeah. I'm active in their chat. But like when they're not online and Robin is, I'll just lurk because I, I really enjoy consuming his content. I think he's an interesting guy. And I'm uh, Polish. Yeah. So I, you know, I have to show love to the another Polish streamer. <laughs> there we go. And if you know, if he doesn't respond, we'll get Jesse and Veritas uh, after him, you know, put some pressure on yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> and of course Veritas is always always uh, entertaining and he is, educational. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorites to watch, definitely. Yeah. So Hey man, well thank you so much. I really appreciate the time and and you know and your your service to the country. It's it's you know it's been fantastic. I'm glad you you accepted to do this. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's been fun, and uh, you know hopefully everyone else enjoys this too. Excellent. All right. Mm -hmm.